Over the last few Sundays together, we have been studying the life of Moses, and today we're coming to Exodus chapter 5. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, Exodus chapter 5, as we read verses 1 through 9. Most of you are aware that over the last few weeks together, we have looked at the protection and provision of the hand of God on Moses on the time that he was born. And last Sunday, we studied that very well-known passage of God calling Moses from the burning bush. And of course, if you were with us last Sunday, you'll remember that Moses gave one excuse after another to say, Lord, I am not the man that you need at this moment. Lord, I am inarticulate. Lord, the Israelites will not believe I have come as the great emancipator. Lord, what happens if Pharaoh doesn't believe me? And so one excuse after the other, and eventually God says, Moses, when you go to Egypt, tell them, I am has sent you. And so that's where we finished last Sunday morning. And as we come to chapter 5, Moses is now back in Egypt for the first time in 40 years, and he's about to have a, it's about to have a conversation with Pharaoh, and it does not go well. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. If you were around in the late 1960s, early 1970s, you will know of a very popular television program called Mission Impossible. And way back in 1996, Tom Cruise played the character of Ethan Hunt, and he breathed new life into a series of movies called Mission Impossible. And if you're familiar with Mission Impossible, you will know that it is always exciting. It always appears absolutely impossible. It is always top secret, covert, very dangerous, and each time you watch Mission Impossible, it's always exciting. I'm usually sitting on the edge of my chair. And the thing we watch out for is both 
well, it mainly comes at the beginning. And it says something like this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. And then at the end of the message, it says, and this message will self-destruct in five seconds. Now, let me ask you to take that image and apply it to Moses. And here is God saying, Moses, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to travel back to Egypt, where you haven't been for 40 years. And Moses, 40 years ago, you took another man's life in a fit of anger. And Moses, not only do I want you to go back, Moses, I want you to convince the Hebrew people, almost a million of them, that you are now speaking on my behalf. I want you to persuade them that you have come as the great emancipator. You will be their spiritual leader. And Moses, I want you to secure an interview or an appointment with Moses, excuse me, with Pharaoh. And I want you to persuade Pharaoh to let my people go. And as you can imagine, Moses was more than a little fearful. He was, I think, frightened, uncertain, gives all the excuses as we heard last Sunday. And now, at the end of chapter 4, he's heading back to Egypt. And the end of chapter 4, there's a little note of hope. Now, it comes immediately before the passage we read. So, look back a couple of verses to chapter 4, verse 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. And I imagine Moses went to bed that night thinking to himself and prayerfully saying, Father, thank you for all that you have achieved this day. Thank you that I was able, by your grace, to persuade the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, that you have heard their prayer. You are about to grant to them freedom. They are about about to leave Egypt, they will go to a promised land, and there you will establish them as an independent nation once again. And the future, to say the least, is bright. Father, thank you. And as Moses is dozing off to sleep that night, he is living on the crest of emotion and euphoria, and thinks to himself, this is so much better than being a simple shepherd, the far end of the desert back in Midian. Today, I am now a somebody. Today, I am making a difference. Father, thank you. And he drifts off to sleep. Then the next morning, he gets up, filled with optimism, grateful for all that had been achieved with the elders of Israel, looking forward to the day. In his mind, I imagine, he is thinking that if I approach Pharaoh, I will need to be careful if I say in the best way possible, if I try and appeal to his better angels, if I at least show some measure of uh, willingness to engage with him and explain what happens. This is going to be 
similar to sudden death in overtime. I'm just going to make the appeal. Uh, Pharaoh's going to say, well done, thank you, Moses. I didn't see it from that perspective. Off you go. Here's a million people. Thank you. But Pharaoh doesn't. And remember who Pharaoh is and the cultural context of the upper Nile. Pharaoh ruled the entire nation. He was an anti-Semitic dictator, had been for generations. His word was law. People lived and died on his every whim and fancy. Statues, temples, massive structures are built across Egypt with Pharaoh's name on them. He was considered nothing less than a living God. That's how important Pharaoh was. And so here is Moses. And we find in chapter 5, after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And then things begin to change and change rapidly. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Can you see these people are in the midst of a major, major construction project for me? Really? Moses, you're asking me to hand over a million people to you and we will lose their labor? If I stop this, the entire nation's morale will go down. Our economy will take a hit. We'll never recover for this. Are you kidding me? Just on your say-so, a wandering shepherd turns up and tells me to let a million people go. Yeah, sure. It's almost as if he's saying, in your dreams, shepherd boy, this is never going to happen. Never going to happen. And that's basically what takes place. Let's hold Moses for a moment. Let's come into the 21st century. Have you ever found yourself in a working environment when all of your hopes and dreams and plans and prayers ended up going nowhere? And you'd become disappointed, disillusioned, hurt, uncertain about the future, perhaps even fearful. You're not a million miles from Moses over here who had very similar circumstances. Granted, it was a much larger scale, but the principles were right there. Imagine the frustration, the opposition that was going on. And it went on for several days into weeks. And notice what happens. Verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. Make them work harder. It wasn't just that Pharaoh 
had disagreed with Moses and refused to acquiesce. He went out of his way to punish the people of Israel. If they started work at 7.30, now they had to turn up at 5.30, gather the straw themselves, put the straw in with the clay, and of course, straw is used as a binding agent. Believe it or not, it strengthens the clay bricks when they are heated. How does Moses respond? Well, jump over to chapter 5, verse 19, much further down than we read moments ago. The Israelites' foremen realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you're not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh, and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, here are the Israelite foremen in charge of the slaves saying, Moses, what on earth were you thinking? This is a disaster. Have you any idea what you have done to us? You turned up here telling us that you were the voice of God, that you were going to deliver us from slavery and bondage, and now it's worse. What on earth were you thinking? And Pharaoh's threatening to take our lives. Thanks, Moses. Sure, slavery was bad, but it wasn't this bad. Sure, we had to do without food and freedom, but we were getting by. We were keeping our heads down. No one was causing trouble. Moses, thanks very much. Can you imagine all of that unfolding? And here was Pharaoh treating them with utter disdain and contempt. And now Moses had a choice. Most of us tend to think of Moses as the great emancipator I mentioned earlier, one of the great leaders of all time, and he certainly was that. In my mind, I tend to see him standing at the side of the Red Sea, calling the waters to part, and they part. I see him in my mind coming down from Sinai with the tablets and the Ten Commandments in his hands, and those were defining points in the life of Moses. But I would also say this. Here in chapter 5, verse 23, there is a defining moment. And it tells us this. Moses returned to the Lord. Moses returned to the Lord. Moses had choices that day. He could simply have turned his back and gone home to Midian to his wife and his father-in-law and continued raising sheep, and life would have been happily ever after. And it would have been forgotten about. We'd never hear of it. It would have been all over. And when Moses returned to the Lord, I imagine the Lord saying to him, Moses, I need you to dig down deep. Moses, I don't need a shepherd boy. I can get shepherds anywhere. I need a spiritual giant who will, when the pressure is on, dig down deep and stand firmly with me. Moses, I want a spiritual leader. I want a man who will focus on righteousness and holiness, on character and honesty and transparency. Moses, I need a leader who will follow me. Moses, that's what we need. 
And please hear this. Leadership attributes are never made in a crisis. They are revealed in a crisis. And Moses returned to the Lord. And notice what he says. O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Notice what he says. Moses returned to the Lord, and then he said, Lord, you have brought. I kind of think he's on dangerous ground right at that second, don't you think? Don't you think? You have brought. Here was Moses living off the emotion of the moment. Couldn't see the larger picture. Couldn't understand, or at least wasn't willing to say, Pharaoh has got it wrong here. But when you're hurting and disappointed, you're living disillusioned, uncertain, fearful, angry, he blames the Lord and not Pharaoh. And God, in the rest of the time they spent together, begins to say to Moses, Moses, you need to lift your eyes up heavenwards. You need to understand what is happening. Moses, Pharaoh is keeping a million people in bondage and slavery, and he is treating them like dirt. He has robbed them of their humanity and their freedom, and he treats them with contempt and disdain. Moses, that needs to change, and it's beginning to change now. And when you step up to challenge the status quo, that's going to be hard. You will be marginalized and minimized. You will be treated with disdain. We know it in our own lives. We know it in our own personal fight with sin. And please understand what's happening here. This isn't simply about let my people go, although it certainly is that, but the larger theological truth here is this. Please hear it. Sin is so insidious and so subtle and so utterly toxic that it is attractive and enticing and appealing and it draws you into its clutches. It hardens your conscience. And when you get that deep in sin, it will absolutely convince you that what you are doing is right and you should be applauding this and encouraging it and supporting it. That's where Pharaoh was, holding a million people in slavery, believed himself to be right, and would condemn and treat brutally anyone who disagreed with him. That's how powerful sin is. And if you have ever stood firm 
over an issue in your own life when it comes to sin, you know how hard it is to break that habit. You know how easy it is to go back to the old ways, the ways you are comfortable with, the ways that somehow you like. And Moses didn't have his wife close by to pray for him and encourage him. He didn't have his father-in-law Jethro, whom he had a great working relationship with. His brother Aaron was there, but Aaron could not strengthen him in the places he needed it most. And that's why we read, Moses returned to the Lord. A defining moment. Moses, what are you going to do? Turn tail? Run home to Midian? Go back to being a shepherd? Moses, what are you doing? When circumstances around us turn against us, it forces us to dependency. When circumstances force us to dependency, they teach us patience. When circumstances teach us patience, they help us to make wise decisions. Moses, this is only round one. And you may be bruised, you may be feeling despondent, you may be feeling a little battered and neglected, but Moses, this is where you double down. This is when you stand tall despite the criticism, despite the voices against you, despite Pharaoh being against you. I am with you. I am with you. Moses who do you want to be? You have choices. Moses, this is for you a defining moment. Will you live cautiously or courageously? Moses, I did not create you for you to embrace mediocrity. Moses, you can go back to Midian where life will be easier, but it will not be better. You can go back to Midian where it will be easier, but not more significant, easier, but not more fulfilling. Moses, hear me amidst the hurt and the pain and the disappointment, the disillusionment that you are living with. Moses, I need you to walk alongside me. Walk in my shadow. I've got you. I will not let you go. I will not abandon you. And in at least my imagination, I hear God saying to Moses, Moses, you ain't seen nothing yet. God had his hand on Moses. Moses couldn't see it, was so caught up with the circumstances that surrounded him, he was forgetting who was in charge. Whatever you are facing, however tough it may be, and it may feel to you to be absolutely impossible, he is right there with you, and he will not let you go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a good and gracious and faithful God.
Enable us, please, by your grace to understand all that you are doing in our lives. Grant to us your provision of strength. Grant to us your enabling grace when we face the impossible. And help us, please, to trust you for all that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.